So that is 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 to 10. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servant of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardship and distress, in beatings, imprisonment and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. Though glory through glory, dishonor, bad report, good reports, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet will live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak to you as children. Open wide your heart also. That is the word of God. I guess in all things we're going to be looking at what Paul is dealing with here at the Corinthian church and we're talking about how he and those that work with him are indeed standing faithful during a persecution and how we might look at what they do and how they live their lives and how we might sort of try to live a bit more like what they were. Which brings us to a question, what really makes a good leader like a Paul? Or indeed, what makes a great leader? According to some world studies that I have looked at, uh, looking at historically classic leadership, most, of course, brings the world view into place, but they've come up with a lot of things, and some of those are, of course, integrity. It's a good thing to have integrity as a leader. And the ability to delegate good communication skills, have a level of self-awareness, have some gratitude maybe even, and then of course have a level of influence uh, mixed in with a bit of empathy and uh, some courage maybe, and certainly it would help to have a respect for the people you work with. And if we take a good look at Paul and and, and overlay all this on Paul's life, I'm sure we can all agree that he displays most, if not all, of those sort of traits, or if we call them characteristics. And I'm pretty certain, however, there's one vital ingredient that the world study kind of misses out on, purely for the fact they don't understand. And that is the assurance and a certainty that is anchored in a God-given faith. 
that of knowing that there is someone greater than you and who is in control of everything. That is what Paul has. Now, we know that that's a rare and a missing ingredient in a world scenario, but must always be found and be present uh, in any Christian leadership. And Paul, of course, has this in spades. What it is that what is it that makes a Christian leadership so difficult, and even in some cases, a Christian leadership outright dangerous? Some of these reasons are external; those threats and the, the dangers are external, but by no means are they also missing in the churches around the world. This has become quite obvious to us. As we have read through 1 Corinthians and then now we're in 2 Corinthians, outlining clearly the persecution and the trials Paul and his fellow workers are experiencing working in what should have been in a Christian environment. But not just in Corinth, by any stretch of the imagination, but it's anywhere where the true gospel of Jesus Christ is preached. But it is comforting for us today to know that we're not alone in this, but that Jesus actually foresaw all of this to happen. We're reading in John, for example, in chapter 15, in verse 18, which is the part we're following on from his command leading up to his teaching. uh, When the disciples, he says, this is my command, love each other. And if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. But as it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will persecute you also. And if they obey my teaching, they will also obey yours. So each of the apostles had grasped all that, understood what Jesus was saying. And every one of them, bar John, was in fact put to death prematurely for the sake of the gospel. That kind of persecution, sadly, are rampant even in today's world. When our faith is true and wholesome, we will not fear death. We will not have any fear of death. But we have the knowledge and the assurance that leaving this world behind and going to be with Jesus is better by far. Having this firmly in their hearts, the apostles and his fellow workers also understood what they had been given even as they were sinners. They had been called out from the sinners. And they're talking about, as as Paul writes, as God's fellow workers. We often cover this gift, as it were, so we can just call it for what it is. It is absolutely a privilege to be gifted by God of being called to be his fellow workers. Considering what humans have done to his son, that we are now considered his fellow workers. We also, from previous verses, know this from a couple of weeks ago, we had that we are the ambassadors for Christ. We represent him in the world. 
And having that knowledge, that assurance, is exactly what gives Paul his focus, or maybe even gives him what his energy is, his absolute source of, of energy. And of course, that is where he derives all his courage from as well. Paul fully comprehends the truth that he has absolutely nothing to fear from the world at large. See, distractions to a Christian walk only take flight when a man and woman loses sight of the power they have within them from the Holy Spirit that is placed there by God through the grace and mercy that is have been applied to us through the removal of sin by Christ Jesus as he dies on the cross alone. And that's the very words Paul then reverts to next. He says, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. See, Paul is pleading. He's pleading with a certain Corinthian church, but he's also pleading with you and I today. Paul has given so many people the opportunity to hear the gospel preached, that they can learn the truth, and yet they let this peace-giving message just slip by. And when we add to that the fact that we've been called and therefore saved for a purpose, the purpose of actually sharing the gospel truth with the world as ambassadors, as co-workers of God. That is what Paul is pleading here for us. Don't let the opportunity go to waste, he says. Go and share the gospel that you've been given with anyone you greet. Paul speaks of this problem in the Galatian letter too, when he writes to the Galatians. In verse 6 in Galatians, I am astonished, he says, that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, he says, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. See, one thing is that we can pervert and mangle the gospel, but see, not to share it. Isn't that pretty well the same thing? We are not sharing what we have been given. People around us just aren't receiving the information, the revelation of Christ, and with that comes the guiding of their souls. They're not getting it even if it's mangled. In verse 2 he says, For he says, In the time of my favor I heard you, and the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the time of the day of salvation. We had that same message the other week when we read in Josiah 55, 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. So it's all comes together again and Paul says now is the time of God's favor now is the day of salvation the very minute Jesus returns again and we won't know when that is he will come like a thief in the night it'll be totally unknown to us when that happens but that very minute is when it is all too late that is beyond the time of salvation and when Paul then turns 
and to speak to us about the protection that we have received. In verse 3, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. That is him living a life that protects the people he's preaching to. I'll give you a sad story about a beach mission we went to one year. We had a team of around 100 people. And those 100 people had worked really, really hard in leading into the, into the mission, in preparing all the things they were going to do. They had paid a lot of hard-earned money for the privilege of being at mission and share the gospel. And we were five days in. We were on New Year's Eve. And when a group of three boys decided that their need for entertainment to take precedence over God's mission. And for them, their entertainment was more important than the focus of 97 of their brothers and sisters. They take a nudie run on the beach, New Year's Eve, and then they film it for posterity. That two minutes of their life of absolute selfishness an absolute disregard for God's plan and salvation could indeed have resulted in our entire team's effort gone to waste the gospel the whole ministry of God on that beach would have been wasted and indeed would have been discredited for years and years to come but thankfully it did not happen I guess we were under protection. I'll be quick to add, though, that two of those boys did come back and repent and asked for the forgiveness of the team and was restored and brought back on team. But boy, it was close. Paul is still pleading with us. Please do not place stumbling blocks in anyone's path to make it even more difficult to come to an understanding of who Jesus is. And yes, we certainly, theologically, when we read the Bible, we also know that there is really nothing in this world that can stop or prevent those that who are called by the Lord to get to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, but we, we can, by our behavior, also make this really, really difficult for them. We can make them stumble again and again. We need them, however, we need to make it easier for them. Just as his death protects you from the wrath of God, so are we asked also in our walk to protect his children. There are way too many stories in churches where elders, ministers or churches have lost their focus and have done heinous things that cause a lot of congregation much suffering and pain, even disunity and separation. These things are the things Paul pleads with us not to do. We are to retain the unity, to protect each other, to help each other, to love each other. And we just encourage you to take a minute when you have and reread what an elder, a deacon, or a minister should be like in Titus 2, 1 to 10. It speaks about the character of the man and the woman that is a leadership of a church. But then again, it isn't just elders, deacons, and ministers. It is everyone in the church that is included in that. 
We know that the elders and the leaders should be like that, but so should everyone else. They should strive and persevere. In verse 4, rather, as servants of God, Paul says. See, each and every one of us are servants of God. We commend ourselves in every way, Paul says. Commend ourselves. I don't know, have you commended yourself lately to someone about how wonderful you are? Your commendation, keep in mind, your commendation is your whole of life. So how's your commendation going? Keep that in mind. He continues to write, in great endurance, in troubles, hardship and distress, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God with weapons of righteousness, in the right hand and the left hand. It's almost a repeat of what he's already told us in 2 Corinthians 4. That's two chapters ago. He goes back to it. We are hard-pressed on every side, Paul says, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Therefore, since God, through the, through the persecution, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body, for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that in his life we may be revealed in our mortal bodies. It's good from time to time to reread those sort of things. When I find the going really, really tough, and I find myself sort of on that edge of despair, thinking, you know, where am I going to go from here, uh, even if none of my life could even be remotely compared to what Paul's been suffering, and when we then take time to reflect on what Jesus had to endure to make my and your salvation possible, then the reality of a call from God should set in and then give us the strength that we should have. And maybe there are no better words than what Paul wrote to the Philippian church from sitting in a dungeon in Rome waiting his death. In verse 8 in chapter 1 he wrote, What is more? I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for the sake of those that I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. See, we all have our own stories of uh, distress and hardship and we have even affliction and sicknesses, testing and endurance, testing our perseverance even. And when Paul speaks of the fact that we have weapons of righteousness in both the right and my left hand. He speaks of what he's already given us. And we get to that in 2 Corinthians 10. He says, for though we live in a world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, we fight with the invincible truth of the word of God. That's different. So when we read the next sentence that Paul gives us here in verse 8, uh, through glory and dishonor, glory and dishonor, 
Yes, we are. When we proclaim the gospel, we are going to be both loved, but we're going to be hated as well. And contrary to what the world would serve up, it says here in this next verse, contrary to bad report or good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet will live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. See, these words from Paul are speaking directly about who Jesus was. People of the day, walking with Jesus, there would be people saying good things about him. But others would be denigrating him strongly, even condemning him, as we know. Jesus certainly was the genuine article, yet regarded as an imposter as he walked with us. He was well known and yet also not known for who he is. He was beaten, but not to death, but he was killed on the cross, and yet he lives on. It's all about him. Jesus was also sorrowful for the world, but also rejoicing for what was to come. Paul also adopts this rejoicing during his hardest time, as he also he wrote in the Philippian letter in verse 18, But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Remember, he's sitting in a cell, waiting to death. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and given the help by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. See, we all have different limits of endurance. You and I are different in that way. And so it's it's not really a problem, is it? But we surely must all agree not to judge each other for whatever low or high level of endurance we have. We are all going through the process of sanctification that serves to prepare us, you and I, prepare us for the day we're going to stand before Jesus and be responsible for the life we led. What is important to you and I is this. We need to have a clear understanding of who we are and where we are up to in our walk with him. We are poor, yet making many rich as we share the gospel, having nothing and yet possessing everything. We have everything we ever need. We lack nothing We have been given everything we will ever need for eternity. And we can freely share as well as stand firm when our Lord is dishonored. Are we doing that? With all our understanding and the guiding of his Holy Spirit as a free gift in our hearts, are we standing up for him when the time shows? When people denigrate our Lord and the Savior, Do we protect and do we defend him with our whole life? That's what Paul pleads with us. Stand firm and be ready to defend the guy that gave you your life. That's the message. Let us pray. 
Our loving Father, we come to you to thank you for these words, for the reminder of who your Son is and who we are in light of him. We pray, Lord, that you will continue to guide us by your Spirit, that we will more and more each day come to a better, better understanding of who we are, where we are up to, and what we need to do. How can we honor your name? How can we honor our Lord Jesus even more than what we did yesterday? These things we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.